This past November, a farmer named Neil was harvesting corn. He was driving his John Deere combine through his cornfields when he hit something with the combine that was hidden from his sight underneath the corn. It was an animal, and he could tell from the collision that it was a pretty big animal. At first he thought it was a cow that had escaped from his barn, but it wasn't a cow. It was a bear, and not just any bear, a seven-foot-tall, 700-pound bear that was sleeping underneath his corn, but it's, it's not sleeping there anymore. The, the bear didn't survive his collision with the combine. And I'm guessing that didn't have any kind of impact on your life. Your life didn't suddenly become more difficult because a bear was run over by a combine. No, our lives can become difficult when it's not a bear that's been run over by a combine, but when it feels like our hearts have been run over by a combine. This week we're going to talk about some relationships. And when relationships in our life kind of make us feel that way, when relationships don't fill us with with hope, but instead they fill us with hurt, when they don't leave us feeling blessed, but they leave us feeling broken, we can feel kind of helpless and alone when that happens. But the truth is, you are neither of those things. On the night before Jesus died, as Jesus' own heart was filled with a lot of relationship pain, as he was just a couple of hours away from hanging on a cross, helpless, alone, and broken, he reminded his disciples why he chose to go through that difficult situation. It's because he wanted you to know that you will always make it through yours. This is what he said to his disciples in John chapter 16. He said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this week we will remember what that victory means for you as you look to love in the relationships that don't always seem to reward you. When Joseph was 15 years old, his hometown gave him a medal and a standing ovation. Because about a month earlier, he was picking up his younger brother from school when he saw something horrible happen. A car came speeding through an intersection and hit a little kid who was walking on the street and started dragging that kid underneath the car, but the, the driver of the car didn't know, didn't know that was happening. And so Joseph jumped out into the middle of the street in front of the speeding car, hoping that the driver would see him and then stop. And the driver did see him. And the driver did stop before he would have hit Joseph. Joseph ended up saving that boy's life. The boy ended up being fine, amazing, amazingly. And when someone asked him what he was thinking that compelled him to jump in front of the speeding car, he said, I needed to save that boy. That's the only thing that I was thinking. And sometimes that's the only thing we can think about too, about loved ones who need saving. A, a friend who's walked away from the faith, a parent who no longer believes in God, a child who no longer goes to church and no longer takes your grandchildren to church either, of course, then. And that can hurt because we love them and we want to love them forever in heaven. But there are two things that your loved ones need to hear about in that kind of situation. Whether you're close or far away from them, whether it will be easy or difficult to have that conversation. Uh, firstly, they need to hear the reality of what they're doing. That walking away from God is like being dragged straight to hell. And they need to hear that. So that It'll sound really, really sweet when you tell them that little 15-year-old Joseph isn't the only person to ever be so consumed with saving someone's life that he didn't even care what it was going to cost him. Jesus was like that too, except Jesus didn't receive a medal for it or a standing ovation. And unlike little Joseph, Jesus actually did die. When God's judgment over our sins dragged through the darkness of hell, the one person whose only desire was to love everyone 
and to forgive them. No matter how long they've been walking away, no matter what they've done to him, no matter what it might cost to bring them to the perfection of heaven that Jesus had prepared just for them. The heart of Jesus knows what it's like to hurt too. Find comfort in that heart for you and then share that love with your loved ones and then be full of hope that the good news of Jesus is going to go to work on them. Take to heart the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Yesterday we talked about people we love who've walked away from the faith. Well, what if they've been walking away for so long that it seems like they're never coming back? Let me tell you a story. It's about a man named Michael Francisi who was in the New York Mafia. At the height of his operations, he was bringing in eight to $10 million a week through his illegal operations. And, and in his spare time, one of his hobbies was directing movies. And back in 1984, he was out in California directing a movie when one of the backup dancers for one of the scenes in the movie came up to him and started talking to him. She was a college student out in California and she didn't know that the director of the movie was a mafia underboss. She just thought it would be a good idea to go up and start talking to this guy and telling him about Jesus. She shared her faith. And he didn't care about what she was saying at all, but he thought she was kind of pretty, so he kept talking to her, and eventually they kind of hit it off. They got along really, really well. After the movie was done, she stayed in California. He went back to New York, but they kept the relationship going, and she kept telling him about Jesus, not wanting to give up on him. And It took a lot of years, but finally he listened. Finally he believed. And, you know, he was sincere about it because he made a very difficult decision. He decided to leave the mafia. Now, saying goodbye to the mafia isn't like saying goodbye to your grandma. It's not like they give you a hug and a kiss on your way out the door. There's a saying that says the only way to leave the mafia is in a coffin. And in addition, Michael knew that if he was really going to go down this new good way of life, he would have to turn himself in for as many crimes, serve some serious prison time, and knowing that the mafia is often just as powerful inside a prison as they are on the outside. But out of love for Jesus and out of love for the woman who eventually became his wife, he did. And he's still alive to talk about it. His story reminds me of the life of the Apostle Paul. If there were a prize for least likely to believe in Jesus someday, I think it would be given to this guy who made a career of hunting down and persecuting anyone who called on the name of Jesus. But then one day, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, introduced himself as the Jesus you've been persecuting, blinded him, and gave something very, very important to anyone who has ever given, um, who's ever stopped believing that someone they love will end up in heaven. He gave them hope. And the Apostle Paul talks about that hope in one of his letters when he says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. As long as Jesus is still patient, you can be too. Keep trying, keep working, keep hoping. A short time ago in a city in Missouri, folks on the street started noticing that there was a man walking back and forth on top of one of the downtown buildings and it didn't take long for them to realize that this man was up there because he was thinking about jumping. 
And so a crowd started gathering on the ground trying to encourage him to come down safely. They were shouting words of encouragement and they did this for a long time. He stayed up there through the entire day and into the evening. But in the evening, the crowd began to wonder if he was listening or even hearing what they were saying. So they started to make large signs that had just encouraging notes on them. Notes like, you're not alone. And I've been there too. And you are valuable. Or you are loved. And it worked. The man eventually came down safely. And what a cool thing for those strangers to do, to cancel whatever else they had going on that day, just to spend time with this, with this one man who was needy. But that can also be kind of exhausting, especially if it happens on a regular basis, investing our time in the lives of those who are needy, who don't necessarily fill your heart with life and energy, but sometimes suck the life right out of your heart as they demand your time and, and your attention and your energy, and sometimes giving you no indication that your investment in their life is making any kind of difference. Those are the times when it can be hard to keep trying and keep going. And Jesus knows that better than anyone. He promised to always be with us. But that was a hard promise to keep. I'm sure it was hard to be patient with his disciples. It was certainly hard to hang on a cross and be whipped and beaten. But he did, simply because he promised that he would. He wanted you to know that if, if Jesus makes a promise, you can count on it, that he's going to keep it. And so as you think of those who are needy in your life, those who need your time and attention, as you think of all the hard work that you must invest in their lives to be there for them, hear this promise from Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 to remind you that your hard work is always going to be worth it. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Peter Marshall was a pastor in Washington, D.C. in the 1930s and the 1940s. There was a time when his wife, Catherine, came down with tuberculosis and she was bedridden for 18 months. And she had a very difficult time with it. She prayed and prayed and prayed that God would make her better, but, but nothing was changing, nothing was happening. She eventually became very bitter, with God, bitter towards God. And so her husband at one point gave her a pamphlet that told the story about a missionary who was once bedridden for eight years. And that missionary had a very difficult time with that. She couldn't understand why God would have her in a bed for eight years while there was so much great mission work to be done and so few people who were willing to do it. She frequently asked God why, 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 as she continued to pray that, that God would make her better. And she kept praying, even though she struggled with this, she kept praying that God would make her better for eight years until finally she figured, I don't think that prayer is working. So one day, maybe just kind of out of desperation, she decided to pray something different. She said, Dear God, you win. If I am to be bedridden for the rest of my life, your will be done. But God, I want you more than I want my health. And within two weeks, she was out of bed and she was completely well. And hearing that story made Catherine, Peter Marshall's wife, realize that she had loved the feeling of being healthy more than she loved God. It's not wrong to love the feeling of being healthy, just like it's not wrong to never want your heart to be broken, just like it's not wrong to want your loved ones next to you in heaven. You can love those things passionately, as long as we remember to love God a little bit more. And why? Because God first loved us more than anything. And we see that most clearly in Jesus' own times of heartbreak and suffering. 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus died, knowing full well the relationships he was going to lose, knowing full well the pain that was coming, this is what he said to his disciples. He said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And we know how God answered that prayer. His will was to put Jesus on a cross, to forgive us for all the times that we have loved anything more than him, so that you could walk through life confident that our Heavenly Father will always answer our prayers with the greatest love for all of his children.